0: This episode of Warp Five is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than one hundred eighty thousand titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com/trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join in on the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode or any other, please join the Babel Conference, our listeners' group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hi, this is Dr. Smallwood from Star Trek Enterprise. You're listening to Trek FM. How we doing,
1: Trip? Stay when you are, prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir.
2: Request permission to get underway. Let's
1: go.
0: Welcome, Boomers, to another episode of Warp 5. Tonight we got something a little different for you here. Uh, As some of you have been following along, we had our Movie Night episode that we did a little while ago for episode 120 when we covered For Whom the Bell Tolls. And originally what we were going to be doing was alternating Movie Night between Stage 9 and Warp 5, and over on Stage 9, episode number 63, we covered Sunset Boulevard, and coming up soon on episode 131 of Warp 5, we're going to be covering for The, the Wages of Fear, which is a wonderful French film. Uh, it's already been recorded, uh, but we're going to be sticking to changing things up a little bit, and we're just going to keep the movie night only on Warp 5 going forward. So in order to keep everything together, I wanted to release the Stage 9 episode In the Warp 5 feed. So if you have listened to the Stage 9 episode 63 where we talked about Sunset Boulevard, uh, this is basically the exact same episode. I've just cut out the intro and changed the previously on Trek FM spot. So if you've heard it already, you don't have to listen to it again. Uh, But for those that are following along and haven't listened to the Stage 9 episode, then I present to you uh, the discussion that John Mills, Mike Schindler, and myself had a couple of months ago, about Sunset Boulevard.
2: Hello and welcome to Stage 9, Trek FM show about the people who make Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we are joined by Brandon from Warp 5. How's it going, Brandon?
0: I'm doing pretty darn good. I got my nice big bowl of popcorn right in front of me and a nice big root beer, and I'm ready to watch a movie.
1: Awesome. Root beer is a great choice. I knew we made a good call
2: inviting him on here, Mike. (laughs) You know, uh, a couple weeks ago, I guess, or a week ago, whatever, on Warp 5, Brandon and I uh, decided to watch the first movie on the NXO1's movie night schedule, which was For Whom the Bell Tolls. And this week, we're going to be doing the same thing, just over here on Stage 9, Talking about the second movie from uh, NXO1's movie night, Sunset Boulevard. If people like this, maybe it will become a thing. This is a bit outside of our comfort zone as a show, which is uh, about um, the people who make Star Trek. But the thing which, to me, I, I find to be fascinating about it, and the, the reason why I think it applies, is because these episodes were obviously written by Star Trek writers. And they chose these specific movies for specific reasons, and I think that it, it's really interesting to, to kind of see why they did that. So Sunset Boulevard. Um, this is a movie which was made in 1950. It was directed by Billy Wilder, and it is number 16 on the American Film Institute's list of the 100 greatest movies of all time, American movies at any rate. It won three Oscars, including Best uh, Screenplay, and, yeah, it's considered to be one of the best movies ever made. Now, I've seen this movie before, but the two of you have not. Is that correct?
1: Had never seen it. Only know the very famous tagline at the end, that uh is misquoted just like uh play it sam is always play it again sam which isn't what he actually says <laughs> and they always put mr demille on the wrong at the end of the sentence instead of where where it actually appears in here
2: yeah there's that and then there's also the uh i think the opening is pretty iconic you know the 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 shot of our our lead character lying dead in a pool <laughs> Yeah, right I,
1: I, I can say that there is actually a uh, season opener of Archer that's even funnier to me now because now I get what they were referencing.
2: What you really need to find if you really want to 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 you know tickle your funny bone or whatever, there's an episode of Pinky and the Brain which starts off like that with <laughs> no, brain floating really? head first, and then it, <laughs> it's a parody of, of Sunset Boulevard. But oh yeah, I got to go back and catch that. It's pretty awesome. But yeah, John, would you want to give a synopsis of this movie? Yeah. Uh,
1: It opens up with narration from a dead man, Uh, somebody floating in a pool, and he basically says, you're probably wondering how I got here, and I'm going to tell you. And you get taken through a very uh, interesting story about uh, a writer down on his luck who's trying to make make something break, make something work. And by happenstance, he winds up falling into the life and uh, focus of a, an old movie starlet who was big because of when this came out in the silent picture days and whose star has faded but hasn't quite come to terms with that fact.
2: Yes, uh, it's very noirish. I mean, Wilder is sort of known for sort of being a master of a couple genres. One of them, uh, noir, with, with movies like this and, and Double Indemnity, which you could consider to be, or which at least I consider to be, the quintessential film noir. But then also uh, comedy, with movies like some like It Hot and The Seven Year Itch and The Apartment and, and One, Two, Three. And the list goes on and on and on. I don't know. I I love Billy Wilder. I love him with all my heart. I think that he's one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Brandon, are you a Billy Wilder fan?
0: I'm not familiar with much of his work. I'm I'm sad to say because... Like, I consider myself quite the film connoisseur, you know, I watch a lot of, at least I used to watch a lot of, uh, you know, cinema from all over the decades and all over the world, but I would have to say that I would specialize more with foreign cinema than American cinema. And I have the Criterion Collection to thank for that because, you know, up until a certain point until like about spine number 650-ish or so, like I had every single Criterion release. You know, and uh, you
2: only have the first six hundred and fifty. What's wrong with
0: it? I know. I stopped. I just, I just didn't have time to watch them all, and I don't. Know, I'm just like, I'm just wasting my money on these things. Like, so I, st- I had to stop. But, but uh, I, so because of the criteria Collection, though, I mean, like, I really expanded my film knowledge. But Billy Wilder is somebody that I've never. I mean, all these movies—I've heard of some of them, but I haven't seen any of them. And I really enjoyed this. I like film noir, and I like the film noir genre. And you know, I like movies because there's not a lot of them—movies that are made about making movies. You know, movies about movie making. You know, there's not a lot of them, and so it's a really, it's a really fun category of film—a little really fun subgenre of film.
1: Yeah, you, you know, I, I'm just I'm going to let you off the hook there, though, Brandon, because I think that Billy Wilder is uh, amazingly, it, he's a name that you're familiar with, but you're not necessarily familiar with his body of work. I would say that would be a pretty a pretty consistent thing. Like, you could go through his filmography, and I know that a lot of the people that I know wouldn't necessarily know that he had done them. Or they would say, Oh yeah, I've I've heard of the apartment. I've heard of some Like It Hot, but I haven't seen it. I mean, these are movies you talk about I mean, look at you know, both of us had never seen Sunset Boulevard before. Right. This this point, but we definitely knew what it was and we definitely knew uh, you know, a version of the last line. Right, right. You know, it, it's almost like you can go your whole life not having seen Gone with the Wind, but you know certain lines from Gone with the Wind and then you see it and you go, Oh, that's what that's from. Okay.
0: Well it's one of those movies that like trans like I hope I word this right it like transcends what it is to become a part of our culture but people don't really know what it is and they don't know the reference, you know like other movies I could think of like this are maybe Planet of the Apes, where everybody knows how the Planet of the Apes ends, the original one, but, you know, they don't really know the context of the rest of the film, you know, and almost, like, I'd hate to say it, but something like Home Alone, you know, when the when the kid slaps his face, like, you know, right. I, I I honestly hadn't seen Home yeah. Alone until I was much older, so I didn't know why the kid slapped his face and screamed until I saw the movie, right? You just think he's, like, shocked or something, and then you find out it's because he, he shaved and put on aftershave, right? So
2: yeah you know I think for me i like i I am very familiar with Wilder, and I think the reason is just because it was kind of a perfect storm of my interests, you know, like when I was let's say in high school, you know I was a really big fan of Noir and sort of getting into that and then um I was a really big fan of Marilyn Monroe when he made like two of the the most iconic uh Marilyn Monroe movies uh, and then also one of. My friends, who I I kind of consider to be like a mentor in terms of like my my love of movies, was a huge fan of Wilder. And because of that, I saw a lot of uh, Wilder movies through him. And, you know, there there are the, the, the iconic ones, the really big ones. I mean, Sunset Boulevard is one of them. Some Like It Hot is another one. And The Apartment and Double Indemnity. I guess those four are like the, the the biggest ones that he's done. I mean, he did win like the Oscar for uh, what is it? The long longest, the Long Weekend, the Long Weekend, or something like that. I think that was what it was called. Um, but those are the four I think, which everyone sort of like across the board is like you know the four masterpieces. You know, Sunset Boulevard, Some Like It Hot, The Apartment, and Double Indemnity you know and then there's all other things too, like Stalin. 17. he goes deep. his mm-hmm. career is is deep. and he's one of these guys who, if I'm not mistaken, he like basically fled Europe uh, when the Nazis uh, came to power and, and moved to America and started making movies here. He was making movies uh, in Europe uh, prior to that. Uh, So because of that, most of his movies are in English and everything, and, and they are sort of like these iconic American movies. And kind of an interesting little side note there, as he was getting older, he really, really, really wanted to make Schindler's List as his final film. You know, he thought it would be his most personal film. He thought it would be his masterpiece. And when Spielberg got the rights, he actually went to Spielberg and basically begged him to let him direct this movie. And Spielberg said he wanted to do it himself, so he never got to do it, which is really wow. kind of sad. Wow. But you know, Wow, that do? is... Yeah. Oof. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, if you want to know more about Wilder, um, there's a book called Conversations with Wilder, where Cameron Crowe, who if you watch any Cameron Crowe movie, especially Jerry Maguire or Almost Famous, you'll see that... Cameron Crowe has made a career out of ripping off Billy Wilder, right? But (laughs) Crowe basically sat down with Wilder for over a number of very, very long sessions and interviewed him about every single one of his movies. And it is the most insightful look into the art of filmmaking that you'll ever see because it's literally these two master filmmakers from two very different generations just sitting there talking about movies and it's awesome check out that book it'll change your life mm-hmm. anyway were, were you gonna say something brandon yeah.
0: i was just gonna say like i was looking him up here and out of the 20s he's only directed 27 movies you know yeah that's, that's like, strange. Which is not that many and i would have
2: thought it was more yeah
0: i haven't seen any of them i've seen the remake of sabrina but I haven't actually seen the original
2: Sabrina, you know? like.
1: Yep, I, I'm, I'm in that boat, too. I've seen the remake of Sabrina. I saw it in the movie theater. Yeah. I would
2: actually argue that the remake of Sabrina is better than the original. Um, I don't think that either is very great. I don't think either is very terrible. But I would say the remake's actually probably a better movie. Yeah. Barely. So anyway, Sunset Boulevard. Um, with this being, I guess, you know, one of your first uh, Wilder experiences, Brandon, what, what, what did you think about it?
0: I thought it was pretty amazing. Like I I tweeted right off the bat, I'm I'm 5 minutes into Sunset Boulevard and it's amazing. And Jeff Bond responded. He's like it only gets better. And there was a lot of really neat stuff in this and I think it's partly because it's the film noir type genre. But right from the beginning, the fact that the main character who's relaying this story is dead right off the bat is – I've never seen anything like that in a movie before. Have either of you guys – like, is that is that a unique concept to this film? Uh, I,
1: think- I have seen something where you wound up – I mean, and I, I, I'm not talking about any, anything by M. Night Shyamalan, but uh, Carlito's Way basically works like that. Yeah. I mean, the, but you don't
2: realize until the end that he's been narrating his life. you know. The, the one that I always it. think of is American Beauty, you know, mm-hmm. which I think at the time a lot of yeah. people were like, oh, they ripped off Sunset Boulevard. But <sighs> I also think that American Beauty in a lot of ways is very wilder in nature. So, you know, I forgive it for that.
0: Oh, I'll have to see that because I haven't seen that again in, I don't even know how long it's been since I've seen American Beauty. And without having the reference of this, I guess...
2: Yeah, That yeah. one's different because you. I don't think you You don't, you might hear like the gunshot or whatever, but he goes like, my name is Lester Burnham, uh, a year from now I'll be dead or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the beginning, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so, sort of variations on a theme. Yeah. So, so, so you really liked it, Brandon.
0: Right. Yeah, I did. I thought it was a pretty, I thought it was an amazing movie. I really, really enjoyed it and I've been really thinking about it the last few days since I've watched it too, because there's a lot of imagery in it that's really captivating. I mean, like one of the scenes is when he's, he's in this room above the garage, right? Where he's staying with this actress and they're moving him into the house because it's leaking, it's raining and it's leaking. And for some reason, like that scene just really grabbed me because it's this rich actress and her whole yard has just gone to the weeds and, you know, there's nothing there anymore. But she's still living like she's this really rich woman and acting like she's this really rich woman. But her property is, like, completely degrading around her. And for some reason, like, that imagery just really grabbed me and, and I haven't really been able to let go of it. I don't know why. It's such a weird part of the movie, you know?
1: No, I mean, that makes sense because he, like he, uh, the, you know, in the narration, uh, it talks about Miss Havisham in uh, Great Expectations. And so there's, there's that allusion. The The thing that really grabbed me was when they had the New Year's Eve scene, there was something, yeah. for me, unmistakably Citizen Kane about it. Uh, and yes. it, was, it was just the way that the floor was and the, I don't know, maybe it was the angles and everything else put together, this idea of somebody living in an illusion who has who has created a reality around themselves and is insulated i you know brandon you you mentioned how it's it's a fascinating look at, at how hollywood works what what is amazing about it is without being maudlin or overly melancholy wilder puts together a film that is really in a large sense very Biting look at Hollywood mm-hmm. and the mentality of the way things work there. But it's done in such a way. Like if we got this movie made today, it would be much more dramatic, much more method acting, much uh, grimmer, much more taught, uh, you know, sort of like psychological thriller scenes. Whereas this is, a, you know, a film that lets these things go by it, in a story sense. Like, this This is the story, not the Oscar, you know, the Oscar-bait performance motivating it. And that's not to take anything away from the performances, but this is, this is a much more, uh, you know, story-driven take than we would get today. It would be much more performance-driven than this one is.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, one and, of the things you pointed out as well is when you compared it to Citizen Kane with that New Year's Eve dance shot, it's almost like an... Opposite of Citizen Kane because the thing about Citizen Kane is the shots were so low, shooting up so you could see like the ceilings and stuff. And that one, if I remember correctly, was pretty high, looking down. So almost the same amount of angle, but just opposite ends of the room, almost.
1: Right, but yes, and the but the the set decoration is very Xanadu. Yeah, you know it's very. This is it doesn't belong, it doesn't fit, this isn't working. But, uh, you know, the person who who is at the head of this illusion is, is really behind keeping it going. And the character that really pops in this is, of course, you know, the butler slash, uh, you know, first husband, is he goes from this sort of ogre-like side character to this really sympathetic like heartbreaking character in one scene and it's such an incredible scene where he tells the history and basically confides i'm gonna keep this propped up i'm not gonna let you tear this down so you know don't do this it's just a really really fascinating film just because it's all about artifice and Mm -hmm. you know which just speaks even further to uh, the idea of it being a critique of Hollywood
0: culture. Right. And as, as we're talking about this, I mean, this character here, you know, Hollywood seemed like it had a fascination at this time with like foreign actors, you know, and I hope I can make this clear, but you know, there was this fascination with people like Bella Lugosi, right? These, these middle Eastern or middle European, uh, thick accent german accents you know russian accents things like this there's a lot of actors at this time you know so this guy made me think a lot of those types of actors that we would see like in hollywood in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s right
2: this this guy his mm-hmm. name is eric von stroheim and he has been in a lot of movies as an actor but in a lot of ways he's kind of more known for his work as a director he made Was he in Grand Illusion? Uh, I believe he was, yeah. Yeah. And he made um, a a lot of, like, crazy, big, massive epics. Uh, Like, Greed is a big one. And I believe um, uh, The Merry Widow is is another one, which is considered to be, like, you know, super huge. There's actually uh, an episode of Young Indiana Jones called uh, The Hollywood Follies, in which uh, Indy works for a movie studio and in the second half he meets john ford and sort of becomes his assistant but in the first half basically he's hired by the head of the studio to just deliver a message to eric von stroheim telling him that his movie that the 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 studio is halting production on his film and everyone's like, oh, my God, you're going to do that? And he's like, what's the big deal? I just have to give him this letter, right? And it, of course, is not a big deal because this guy was the biggest control freak, super-duper crazy, egotistical director, you know, auteur in the history of movies, right? I mean, like, nobody compares. Nobody. And, uh, you know, so he's, in a sense playing himself in this movie you know he is a, f- a former director from the silent era who has now become obsessed with this woman and blah 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 but his backstory is the same backstory as eric von stroheim and that's something which i think is really interesting about this movie is you've got a lot of people who are playing either literally themselves or versions of themselves whether sure. it's cecil b DeMille mill or even you know uh the lead actress herself um Gloria Swanson. Yeah. Oh,
0: okay. See, and that's funny in itself because you know, just seeing the poster over the years, I totally thought it—it it was the same woman that was in All About Eve. Um, oh yeah. Oh, I'm bad with a lot of these actresses' names. Like, I think she was also uh, in. That, um, was, that was that Betty Mummy Davis Dearest as well? Yeah, was it Betty Davis? I, I thought know,
2: it was Betty Davis know. that was in this movie. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting how you know they do that and obviously at this point you know Wilder had been making movies for a while and and you know it, it also you know Wilder being an outsider you know M- M- Wilder being you know someone from from Europe who's coming over and looking at you know American society and the way that Hollywood works even though he is sort of like Hollywood to his core i think it's interesting you know that that take that he has uh, on the industry and and how it kind of ruins people. Um but yeah, it's 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 very interesting. Um so so John, you you, you liked it too? I loved it. Yeah. I thought
1: I thought it was fantastic. I uh I was very impressed. You know there is a trepidation that goes into watching these classics. Of course, you know, like we said at the beginning, I'm aware of it. I know the tagline, I know the basic gist of it, but I've never seen it before. And so when you go into something like this, there's always that sort of, like, breath-holding moment where you, you wonder, am I going to be the one? Am I going to be the one that hates this? And then everybody's going to say, I don't know anything. There, there's pressure. I mean, listen, anybody's lying if they say they don't go into these movies that are regarded as classics, and they have that little that little voice in the back of their head saying, are you sure you want to do this? You, you got to lock into an opinion after this one. Mm-hmm and uh i was really really pleasantly surprised i i didn't expect it to resonate quite the way that it did i was so supremely impressed and even though you know what i said about how story drives versus performance and we get a different sort of thing the performances in this are great they really are they're exactly what is necessary for this story to proceed mm. and it is it is such a feat to have something where it would have been so easy for any of these people to overact to try to steal a scene to try to eat a scene alive and instead they do exactly what they're supposed to do what they need to do to make it live and breathe and i you know and i did watch the whole thing wondering to myself why did they pick this one to show during Dear Doctor? Why did they pick <laughs> this one? And I figured it out.
2: So what, what's, what's the reason?
1: It's because of the whole love story thing with Flocks with and Cutler where it, it's the unrequited love thing. It's not at the same scale. Nobody's Norman Desmond in this situation. But you have a narrated story telling you how things happen, how things work in this situation, And then you have, you know, as part of this plot, uh, you know, you have somebody in love with somebody else who isn't in love with them. And that is where I see the play within a play.
2: Mm -hmm. Interesting, interesting.
1: Um, you know. You oh, now see, that's a Mike Schindler trademark. Yeah, you're nuts. <laughs> no. That is. See, the thing is, I at least have the courage just to say you're nuts. And you you
2: say interesting, it just means, yeah, okay, John, you're nuts. No, no, I no. Get no. I no, get no. it. No, no. Like, I see what you're saying. I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. I think the line where they talk about Sunset Boulevard in this movie is such a throwaway line that maybe you're overanalyzing it a bit but i
1: don't disagree. Hi, with I'm John, that. I'm a podcaster. How are you doing? It's maybe if they had we switched
0: do. the movies, right? Like in the episode because you know, we had we didn't really try and find anything when we watched for whom the bell tolls as to a reference to the show other than i guess it's a love story as well, right? Um but maybe if this had been the main movie because they actually showed a clip from for whom the bell tolls and dear doctor.
1: Mm. Okay.
2: I guess one, one of the interesting things about uh, that, in a way, is that you know, Dear Doctor was written by Maria and André Jacques Maton, who uh, would go on to uh, great fame and success as uh, staff writers on Mad Men, and uh, Sunset Boulevard is definitely from that same era, which is kind of mm-hmm. cool. But that's. But go, going going back to
0: true. what you said there, John. Though I totally know what you mean when you go into a classic and you're like, "What if I'm the one?" You know, if we if we continue on with this series of films, we're going to get to The Exorcist. And spoilers for that one, I have fallen asleep every time I have watched that movie. I have found I, it so boring. I, uh, no, <laughs>
1: no, no, no. I reject that statement. That cannot be true.
0: No. I have never finished that movie. I can't. I'm just like. I don't know. It just does not do it for me. Wow. I'll save my
2: opinions on The Exorcist until we get to that one. But as far as uh, Sunset Boulevard is concerned, um, I'm kind of that guy in the sense that, like, I think that Sunset Boulevard is a really good movie, but I don't understand why it has this... Absolute classic status. You know, as far as like the portrayal of Hollywood is concerned, I think that there are other movies like The Player which have done that better. As far as, you know, noir is concerned, I think Wilder did better with Double Indemnity. And just as far as movies in general are concerned, I think that Wilder, I mean, this is to me like middle of the road Wilder. Like, this is not like there are like two or three moments where I'm like, oh, my God, that's amazing. I've never seen anything like that before. But is that enough to sustain the entire movie? Not really. And I'm not saying that this movie is bad by any stretch of the imagination. I think that it is a very good movie. But when you're comparing it to, I mean, just to narrow it down, just to this one filmmaker's body of work, it doesn't hold up next to all of the other, like, absolutely amazing things that he's done you know so i mean yeah i i do like it but i'm not head over heels in love with it everyone else is head over heels in love with it it got nominated for 11 oscars it won for best uh screenplay best music and best uh production design for black and white movies like you're talking about john Uh, And then also as far as, you know, the acting is concerned, you know, you you guys were talking about how how good the performances are, which I totally agree with. It swept the nominations in the sense that it had actor, actress, supporting actor, and supporting actress all nominated. And then, of course, it got nominated for everything else, like director, cinematography, editing, and best picture. But it didn't Mm -hmm. win those. So, yes, certainly critically. just
1: so you know that you're not alone in the not loving it Uh, category i can tell you because uh on my on my tv the netflix app still has the stars everything else has gone to the that simple thumbs up thumbs down nonsense but uh when i pulled it up on the uh on the tv app to to watch it it only had a two out of five on netflix oh really i think okay number one obviously spoilers i loved it but i two out of five yeah like what what like i could i could see maybe somebody walking away and be like oh it's maybe a 3 or a 4 okay you know we have differences and everything but two
2: yeah that That's, seems really low that i would have as well yeah like yeah. wow i would have guessed 4 you know i would give i'd give it 3 out of 5 myself but yeah mm-hmm. yeah huh. so okay well um i guess this is the big question you know which i, I think um john asked in the in the uh, real-world sense, but in the uh, incontinuity sense, in the canonical sense, why did Trip—and we're always going to assume that it's Trip, okay—why did Trip choose Sunset Boulevard? I mean, yes, it's a Paramount movie, that's a given, but beyond that, Brandon, why do you think that Trip chose Sunset Boulevard to show for movie night?
0: Hmm, I didn't think of this question coming into here. I guess I should have, because we did talk about this last time, but— I think that the primary reason would be because of its classic sense, like its classic status that it has, and I think that's probably where he was starting off with these movies, because if we assume that For Whom the Bell Tolls was the first one, I mean, that's regarded as a classic as well. I mean, you and I didn't quite like it as much as we thought we might, but I think that he's starting off with these these classic American cinema uh, tales, because maybe that's a part of him because he comes from the southern united states as well,
2: right? I don't know. That could be what do you, what do you think, John? Oi. Um or bro. you know, I mean maybe we can twist this this question a little bit. Do you think it is a good choice for movie night? Yeah, I do. Yeah.
1: Sure. Yeah, I mean well, I mean think about it. You're going to have a crew that's in deep space. You have uh you know somebody like Flocks uh, and and Paul who are from you know alien cultures, and you want to expose them to what you know how culture has evolved on your planet and everything you would show them classic films this is how story stories are always about us and so here are classic films about what we were thinking about at different periods in history sure makes sense
0: i think it's a better choice than for whom the bell tolls for sure because for whom the bell tolls is a very specific kind of film and i think that this one would have a much broader appeal than
2: for whom the bell tolls yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think it definitely has a, a much broader appeal than for whom the bell tolls, and I, I do think that it is a fairly solid choice for movie night. Um, certainly, um, much more accessible than than most movies. There definitely seems to be a tendency, if you look at uh, the overall uh, list of of movies in the fifties, there's a lot of of fifties movies uh, that are, that are are chosen, and, and this is one of you know. The absolute best movies from that era. I don't know what it is about that era, but yeah, I don't know. There's just a, this weird thing that that happens, and it's hard to to kind of like place it in context. I mean, I, I think it would be hard for the writers to do this as well. But the idea that like you're not going to pick a bunch of modern movies. Because like that's what would happen today. It would be a bunch of modern movies. Like if if someone were to to have a movie night on a on a a, a naval ship. Which hey, you know, actually I have a friend who was in the navy in, in like 2005, and the movies that were shown on his ship were things like Sin City and Star Wars Episode Three and everything like that. You know, and um, you can't do that obviously because. It's got to be stuff from the past, but we are their past. But you don't want to date the show, so you have to pick classics, right? And I think that there's a tendency to kind of romanticize a certain era and maybe not stray out of that too much. There's a lot of movies from, like, the 50s backwards. I mean, The Exorcist and Kung Fu, those are sort of weird outliers, but... I would have expected them to, you know, maybe pick some stuff from the 80s or 90s or something. I don't know. That's what I would have done if I were writing, you know, for this show. But well,
1: <laughs> well the thing is a certain amount of time has to pass before something can be regarded as a classic. So it could be viewed as very presumptive to uh to air something. I mean, granted Paramount was, you know, they were still releasing films and everything. They could have very easily done what you said and, you know, put something on there but I think that what you wind up doing is once enough time passes people view people all universally look at that as that's long enough to regard something as a classic even if I don't particularly like it whereas if you bring something more modern day I think you snap the audience out of it because then somebody says oh this is a Paramount movie oh I know why they put this in there people aren't thinking along those lines when you go back and you bring Sunset Boulevard up or vertigo or anything like that they're not thinking about what studio released it whereas if you put uh, you baywatch. know what would even be huh
0: <laughs> put paramount's Bay yeah. baywatch i think paramount did Baywatch, watch eh? yeah. right
1: yeah uh but but uh, you know any paramount movie you throw it on there and people would be like oh i know why you put this on there I Well, guess, would it
0: have been presumptuous to put raiders of the lost ark in the in movie night you know
1: it's funny while i was saying that raiders <laughs> was in my brain Raiders. And I think that Raiders would have been right in that sweet spot where enough time has passed to regard it as a classic without people getting too uh, in tune with uh, what studio released it.
2: Raiders you could do. I think you could do Titanic if you wanted, and I guess the other two would be like Braveheart and Forrest Gump. You know, Yeah,
1: but but Titanic, then you have to worry about who has the distribution rights
2: on television in certain territories and stuff <laughs> like true. that. That's true. Yeah. Anyway, so any final thoughts on Sunset Boulevard, uh Brandon?
0: Uh I think this is I think it's really a good movie and I think people should see it if they haven't the writing is really good there's a lot of great dialogue in this film and uh who did you say the actress's name was because I didn't write it down she did a great job
2: Gloria Swanson yeah
0: yeah like she did a great job of portraying this down her look. like oh I wanted to mention I'm glad I remember this now this really reminded me a lot of the old Twilight Zone episode the 16 millimeter shrine yeah do you guys know that episode
2: yeah I was thinking the same thing in no, fact. No, I don't know that one off, in fact, off the top of my head. When the, no. the, the the wax works or whatever they call them come in, I was waiting for that moment where the guy, you know, comes in and says like we should hang out and she, her saying like, "What? What are you talking about? Why are you so old?" You know, because I, I, I got those two things confused in my head, and I actually thought that that was from this this episode. But yeah, no, I totally yeah, because
0: that. that's after this though. Like that episode of The Twilight Zone would have been after this movie. But yeah. in a nutshell, it's this woman who is an actress from the silent era, and she sits in her dark room watching her movies all day long, and she keeps rejecting these roles because she's getting offered these roles of like the the older mother character and she doesn't want to admit that she's getting old and and so her, her producer or her uh, not, her agent uh, sets her up on a dinner date with one of her old stars and when the guy comes in, she's like, who are you? Because he's his age, he's older. And, you know, she's like, no, you're not him, you're too old. And, and then at the end of The Twilight Zone, spoilers for this 50-year-old Twilight Zone episode, she like goes into the world of the movies and like, you know, Somehow gets absorbed by her films, or something like that. So, but
2: yeah,
1: something uplifting.
2: It's <laughs> <laughs> the Twilight Zone. So, what about you, John? What, what do you think? Uh,
1: you know, I I think people should give this a shot. I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was great. I enjoyed it beginning to finish, and I think that uh, it it is really witty. I think that it is really slick, and I think that its uh, criticisms are. Uh, really well-delivered, uh, you know, of Hollywood culture without
2: being cynical.
0: Mm.
2: All right. I, I, I would definitely recommend this movie as well. I do think that it's very good, although I, I would say, you know, and this is not fair to the movie, I guess, but I would say that if you're looking for a Billy Wilder movie uh, to check out, um, I, this wouldn't be the first one I'd recommend. The first one that I would recommend would be one, two, three, which is a way, way, way out there choice, I guess, in some regards, because it's just not, I don't know. I don't understand why people don't love one, two, three, like they should, but check I that never heard out of it. It's hilarious. It was made the like right after the Berlin Wall went up, like right after I like, I do not know how they got this movie out that quick. But James Cagney plays a Coca-Cola executive who's in West Berlin right after the wall goes up, and basically he's made it his, his goal in life to somehow distribute Coke into East Berlin, and he thinks that if he'll do this, they'll give him a massive promotion and send him back to Atlanta, where he'll be living the good life. And it is like the craziest, fastest screwball comedy you will ever see. The dialogue is insane and it is awesome and you have to see it. Uh, But, you know, as far as like is more, I guess, you know, more similar to Sunset Boulevard. I I mean, Double Indemnity is the movie. If you if you like film noir at all, if you want to know what film noir is or anything like that. Double Indemnity is ground zero. Check it out. It's amazing. It'll blow your mind. And, uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. So.
0: Should we tell them what we might be doing next on uh, Movie Night?
2: Yeah. Uh, Next Movie Night, which we haven't decided when that'll be, but it'll probably be over on Warp 5. Uh, It'll be... The Wages of Fear, which I know Brandon, I haven't seen, and John, you haven't seen, but Brandon, I know that you're a, a huge fan. Without talking about what's in the movie at all, I mean, what, what can we expect?
0: Um, I It's one of my favorite movies of all time. It is a nail-biter. It's a very suspenseful film. I'll warn you right up the front, though. The first hour's a little slow, but honestly, it is definitely worth it. It is one of the most nail-biting films in cinema history, I think.
2: I can't wait. Well, it's been fun talking about Sunset Boulevard today, but that's not all we're talking about on Trek FM this week. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network.
0: Previously on Trek.fm,
2: The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast.
0: I think they do that
1: really good with another if you want to call it Easter egg, which is when Michael does commit her act of mutiny, uh, she does it with a Vulcan neck pinch. And that's, you know, right in the tradition of Spock, right? Spock does that in the Menagerie. Uh, when he commits his act of mutiny, he, he he does that to a fellow Starfleet officer.
0: Warp 5. I think it's, it's a lot more than that, and this character is an incredibly in-depth character and there's a lot more to her than this and I think that the reason that the evidence for this is because of how she reacts with Picard and even Picard like Picard has this opinion of her the orb
2: and so I, I feel as though O'Brien really is one of the characters who kind of opens up this idea for Rom of, of, that there's a different type of life. And I honestly think O'Brien is kind of the character that Rom probably looks the most up to on the station, yeah. And, I think so. and, and would yeah. want to be like if there's somebody that Rom's like, oh, I wish I could be like somebody when I grow up. It would be O'Brien.
0: Standard orbit. <laughs>
2: all these different languages and so forth and it just instantly translates based on what has already been figured out between you know two beings or or whatever this is different the translator does not work that way and i thought that is that is really sci-fi right universal concepts coming through brainwaves in order to translate into language that's pretty neat And that's what else is happening
0: on Trek.fm.
2: Check out these shows and discover what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts and uh, get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And please, leave us a star rating and a review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows, and in most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link as well if you want to contact us you can find us on facebook.com where we have our listener forum the Babel conference just type Babel that's B-A-B-E-L into the search field in Facebook and we should come right up Uh, If you want to contact us on Twitter, you can find us at Trek FM. And if you want to find the show page or the network page on Facebook, just go to facebook.com slash Trek FM. Brandon, where can people find you on the Internet?
0: You can find me on Twitter, at Brandon Metella. You can find me poking my head up every once in a while in the Babel Conference. And you can find me with my friend Floyd over on Warp 5, which is Trek FM's Star Trek Enterprise podcast. And you can also find me if you want to travel outside the... The Trek Boundaries, if you've enjoyed what we've done here, uh, my friends Chris and Tom and I, uh, we do a show on the Fandom Podcast Network called Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast, and we're going through Hitchcock's films one at a time. We're in his silent films, but this month's episode is actually going to be about Bates Motel, season one. So we're uh, we're going to be checking out that series of TV show episodes as
2: well. And you know, Bates Motel, based on the novel Psycho by... Uh original series writer Robert Block so yeah cool John what about you where can people find you on the internet oh I'm Castle Junkie on your social
1: network of choice and then of course you can find me co-hosting aggressive negotiations over on the nerd party network and you can find me co-hosting words with nerds with my pal Craig and going back to the nerd party network you can find me co-hosting great shot kid with you
2: Mike Yes, you can find me over there doing Great Shot Kid, and you can also find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com doing Commentary track Stars, And you can find me right here on Trek.fm doing this show, as well as The Edge with Brandon. So, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah, I forgot to mention that one.
2: <laughs> yeah, Yeah, that's where we talk about Discovery. You can also find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. We'd like to thank our associate producers today, Jeff Sutter, Chris Steftonagel, and Norman C. Lau. Thank you very much for your support, guys. Thank you. If you'd like to be like Jeff, Chris, and Norm, head on over to patreon.com slash trekfm and become a patron of the network. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you can get all of the details, including perks like... Early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone, which is managed by the one and only Brandon. Uh, it requires a great deal of money to produce and distribute these shows each month, and we really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the info at patreon.com slash trekfm. Well, Brandon, thank you very much again for joining us, and thank you for coming up with this great idea in the first place. Uh, hey, I'm, you're welcome. I'm, I'm ex- happy to
0: be here. I'm glad we we did this. It's a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah us too. You know, I, I'm definitely excited to see the wages of fear, and uh, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll have to to see if we can continue this movie night on into the future.